0: Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory.
1: This year, we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the uh, 2012 Quebec Student Strike. Uh, This represents the largest mass movement in the history of Quebec uh, and the history of Canada, this uh, student strike mobilized hundreds of thousands of, peop- of students and, and actually sparked a much larger movement that ended up bringing down the hated government of Jean Charest, the Liberals. And uh, once again, strike votes are rolling in in campuses across Quebec. There was thousands, maybe upwards of 10,000 people on demonstration. Uh, so there seems to be a movement developing, which is very good. Uh, and it is therefore more important than ever that we relearn the lessons, that we learn the lessons of the, uh, the revolutionary traditions of the 2012 student strike in Quebec. Well, first things first, we need to understand the context in which the 2012 student strike took place. This was a context of capitalist crisis, the 2008-2009 uh, so-called sub- subprime mortgage crisis, the financial crash. Uh, and it was a, it was a context of austerity measures. Governments all over the world were ma- trying to make the workers and youth pay for the crisis of capitalism. And it was therefore also an epoch of class struggle. You had uh, movements, uh, the Ignatios in Spain. You had Occupy Wall Street. You had the Arab re- Spring, the Arab revolutions in twenty eleven. Uh, you had the Chilean student strike. You had mostly what we would describe as mass youth uprisings against inequality, poverty, and against the capitalist misery in general. The youth were rising up, and the 2012 student strike was taking place as a part of this general youth revolutionary uprising around the world. And the leaders of the strike saw it as such, as I will explain. In Quebec, specifically, already before 2012, the governments of Lucien Bouchard, Bernard Landry, and Jean Charest himself uh, had imposed severe cuts in public services. The Quebec capitalists uh, had seen the economy lagging. The the Quebecois economy was very uncompetitive on the world market, and they were looking to change this, to fix this problem for Quebecois capitalism. And what this meant for them was, was to cut social services, to cut tax, corporate taxes, to attract investment. This was probably the best summed up in a manifesto written by Lucien Bouchard, the ex-premier, Parti Québécois premier, uh, and his uh, cronies, for lack of a better term, uh, a manifesto called Pour un Québec Lucide. It's for a clear-eyed vision of Quebec, where they talk about reducing the public debt and lifting the freeze on tuition fees most importantly for this discussion. When Jean Charest was elected, he famously said that uh, the Port-en-Québec lucide was music to his ears, so he was in complete agreement with the ex-Parti-Québecois premier on the need for austerity, uh, the need to, uh, to make the workers pay for the crisis, to cut social services, to make... Uh, Quebec more competitive, Quebec capitalism more competitive on the world market, and this was summed up in a general push by the liberals under Charret. the finance minister at the time, a man named Raymond Bachand, uh, basically called for a a cultural revolution, not the cultural revolution, In the Maoist sense, a cultural revolution uh, in the sense that he said Quebecers need to get used to paying more for public services. Uh, so there was a fee- series of fees implemented and, and, and general increase in the cost of all public services uh, in the province. In 2010, the Charest government succeeded in shoving a rotten deal down the throats of the, the common front of public sector unions. Uh, And the next target had to be the students. Now, Quebec students have a, a heroic tradition, a legendary fighting spirit actually, that goes back to the 1960s, staged major major strikes many times in 1968, 1974, 1978, 1986, 1988, 1990, and 1996. This is one of the reasons why Quebec has the lowest tuition fees in the country, still to this day, because Quebec students have fought tooth and nail, to keep it that way. They've gone on strike many times, and organize mass movements to, to, to fight against tuition inc- fees increases. And that's very important. Um, so yeah, the next target for the Chiré government had to be the students. They had to break the student movement. They had to send a, a lesson, send a message, teach a lesson to Quebec students that no, you cannot do this any longer. This was particularly important because the this Quebec student movement had actually forced the Chiré government to back down in 2005 with a mass student movement. After six weeks of student strike, the Charest government actually backed down on their attacks on the student movement. So, so, so Charest wanted to kind of settle the score. Now at the time, tuition fees had, were frozen in Quebec at $2,519 a year which if you look at where tuition is today, even in Quebec, that is, very, uh, that is a very small amount. Um, so yeah, this, this is where things were at. And the Charest government announced in 2011 that they would increase the annual tuition fees by $1,625 over a five-year period, which amounts to a 75% increase in tuition fees. And now hypocritically, Charest called on the students to do their fair share um, he's not asking for his rich buddies to pay their fair share. Of course, he's actually, uh, cutting their tax, uh, their taxes. He's, he's forcing the students and workers to pay all of the share, more and more of the share of the capitalist crisis. So in doing so, actually, Share, without knowing it, unleashed a wave of anger that he did not expect and and, the, and and this was represented in the student strike. It was captured by the student strike. Now, just because there was anger didn't mean that there was inevitably going to be a mass movement. Uh, the, the anger needs to find an outlet. Now, this outlet was to be the student strike. But the student strike didn't happen all on its own. This leads to the question of leadership, which is one of the most important lessons from 2012. They had bold, audacious leadership that stood up and said no, and took militant action to fight back against the government, against the tuition fees, and against the entire capitalist system. Now, this leadership was most clearly represented by ASSEI, l'Association pour une solidarité syndicale étudiante, that was the main radical student union uh, they had a newspaper called uh, the ultimatum which gives you a kind of an idea of what they were all about they were making an ultimatum to the government where gabriel nadeau dubois the one of the main spokespeople of sa wrote an article in 2011 where he says the following all over the world in spain in italy in greece in portugal in great britain in syria In Egypt or Tunisia. The people are revolting to claim what is theirs. After the Arab Spring, will we witness a Quebecois Spring? This then went on to state, the response from Assay is categorical. We must. This semester will begin with a massive mobilization on all campuses in Quebec. More and more we hear in the corridors of colleges and universities. A whisper, like a rumour, three letters, always the same. GGE, which means in French, uh, greve générale illimitée, unlimited general strike. This rumour, since last spring, he continues, has become more and more insistent. GGE, unlimited general strike. Given the magnitude of this challenge, no hesitation can be permitted. We need to mobilize ourselves right now in great numbers and with great determination. It is up to us. So you can already see the bold message here, the very bold leadership that was provided by Assay and by Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois and the other Assay leaders at the time. As I mentioned, it is also important to note that this leadership was not just a nice reformist Uh, fight for this or that little tinkering Uh, it was a bold leadership that was fighting against the entire system that was fighting against the rule of the bourgeoisie itself and that was very important to the movement and I think it's very important to any modern movement that it is not simply fighting for this or that crumb but it is fighting against the entire system against the establishment the capitalist establishment which can actually allow the movement to connect, to make it more than just about the one thing. It's about the whole damn system, the whole damn setup. You don't believe me? Well, I will quote a speech from Gabriel Nader Dubois himself, uh, who was one of the main spokespeople of the strike. He said, But let's not forget the people who want to raise tuition fees the people who want to cut public services, the people who want to privatize health care, the people who want to reduce, even abolish government regulations on the environment, the people who despise women's rights, aboriginal rights, the rights of all minorities, the people who have been working hard for decades to suppress the right of workers to associate. All of these people are the same. These people are few in number. These people control everything and always want to control more. These people have common interests. These people have a common political project. There was a time in Quebec, in Canada, not so long ago, that a minority like that, which controlled the political and economic institutions of a country, which shares common interests, not so long ago, we called that a class. And we must stop being afraid of words we have to call these people by their name. These people are the ruling class. These people are the bourgeoisie. The struggle against tuition hikes, the struggle of the indignant people around the world, must be called by its name. It is a class struggle, a struggle of the possessing minority against the majority who have nothing, a gluttonous and vulgar minority, a minority that sees life only as a business opportunity, a tree only as a raw material, and a child only as a future employee. When we protest the tuition hike, we will also be protesting this now, I think if you be following Quebec politics, you can tell that this is not really the way that Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, who is now the leader of the left-wing party Quebec Solidaire, it's not really the way he talks anymore. Uh, I think that the young Gabriel would have a lot to teach his older self. So the ability to tie the immediate issues of the strike to a broader radical program of struggle against capitalism, its state and its all of its policies was a huge strength for the student movement at the time. This meant that hundreds of thousands of students quickly saw that they were part of a much larger struggle. And this gave them the strength and determination and the will to defy police violence, the risk of arrest, and the media slander. And continuous struggle that went on for over eight months. Now, importantly, student leaders also understood that they could not simply take for granted that students would automatically agree with their ideas. Uh, There's sometimes a disdain for leadership on the left, particularly in Quebec, in the student movement. There's kind of an anarchist prejudice that leadership is immediately considered a bad thing, something authoritarian or something to be banned. But now, what do Marxists think of leadership? Well, every organization whether you want it or not, necessarily has leadership. Not everyone can and will speak up uh, in a general assembly of students. Not everyone uh, has ideas. Some people are coming to look for ideas. And an organization that refuses to have elected leadership will inevitably be led by unelected informal leaders. We've seen this time and time again. In 2011, a minority of people, leaders actually in the student movement in Quebec often anarchists by the way came up with the idea of a strike and developed a plan to make it happen and it's very important to note they were a minority of people at the time and they they heroically rolled up their sleeves and worked to convince a majority of students to join and they played an excellent leadership role and this is what allowed the movement to find its point of expression the anger to find a point of expression. So, in March 2011, the Charest government announced the tuition increase of $1,625. Uh, the leaders of Assé, which, which included ASE included a minority of the students, 40,000 students in Quebec, uh, from and they had dozens of student unions and associations included in that broad federation, uh, responded by they they responded by preparing the strike. Uh, in late 2011 several student associations temporarily joined them and this allowed them to form what it was known as the class that was the 100000 member uh, large enlarged coalition of assay uh, which which shows you the need for unity to make the movement strong now during 2011 uh, these activists in the class in ASE and the class went from class to class at the universities and the colleges the segeps uh, to explain the strike to explain the issues of the strike, to explain what the movement was all about, Uh, distributed leaflets, flyers, uh, their newspaper ultimatum, they spoke at general assemblies, they organized demonstrations, they denounced the tuition fee increase, uh, and, and patiently convinced their colleagues of the need to build a strike, to build a broad movement to fight back throughout February and March uh, 2012. There was strike votes held in universities and CEGEP's uh, colleges. Uh, These were initially led by uh, unions affiliated with the class, but they were quickly joined by unions affiliated to the more conciliatory uh, FERC and FEC. Those were the, they represented the majority of students, and they had tended towards not strike for negotiation, for conciliation with the government. But those leaders, uh, who traditionally always lagged behind the assay and the class and never really wanted to strike, couldn't hold the tide back. And the strike spread to their campuses as there was kind of an inspiring movement that developed all over the place. This movement quickly snowballed. Uh, On February 27th, 2012, there were 65,000 students on strike. By March 5th, this had reached 123,000 on strike at its peak by March 22nd the date of the first big demo there were 300,000 out of 400,000 post-secondary students in Quebec on strike and some high schools even joined the strike for that day on March 22nd they had the first massive demonstration with all these of all the striking students between 100 to 200,000 people flooded the streets of downtown Montreal and this this, this fundamentally changed the movement. I think in the eyes of everyone there, they saw, we are many, they are few, we are more. They saw The students saw their collective strength. They saw that it was part of a bigger movement. Now, uh, having spoken about leadership, uh, it would be ridiculous to imagine that the leaders of the class of Assay managed to get 300,000 students to rise up on strike with their work alone. It's important that we understand the relationship between leadership and the, the, the kind of objective situation the, and, and the relationship between leadership and spontaneous movement, spontaneity. It would be a mistake to deny the importance of spontaneity. Um, it's impossible to simply decree a mass movement. Uh, the fight, the will to fight and wide-scale anger must already exist as it does today, and as it did at the time, in 2012. In this sense, while it was the class, the assay leaders that organized the strike, it was Jean Charest and the general capitalist crisis who started it. The brutal tuition hike uh, was like a match thrown onto the, a pool of gasoline, of youth who were just w- waiting to be provoked into action. Now, while mass movements can arise spontaneously, Uh, For them to be more than a flash in a pan and lead to victory, they must be organized. As the Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky explained, without guiding organization, the energy of the masses would dissipate like steam not enclosed in a piston box. But nevertheless, what moves things is not the piston or the box, but the steam. That is the importance of organization. Um, Now, the 2012 student strike witnessed a surge of creativity uh, because the masses took ownership of the strike. You saw initiatives uh, like we rarely see today. There were different picketing tactics, different artistic movements, uh, various types of demonstrations. Uh, Everything was seen. There were hundreds of thousands of people involved in this mass movement as the masses entered the scene of history. But it took preparation and organization and leadership to to tap into that discontent, to provide it with a certain direction. And that's the role that the the student leaders played. And that's really the role that leadership needs to play to create the space for that movement, to canalize it in a certain direction. So it's not leadership or spontaneity, it's it's both. You got to have a kind of combination. The leadership must tap into that spontaneous mass anger of the masses and build a movement. Uh, I think the next lesson that's very important to draw from the 2012 student strike was that of rank-and-file democracy. I would say it's almost like socialist democracy. Uh, Now, at the beginning, the government tried to put its head in the sand, tried to ignore the movement. They refused to meet with the student leaders to negotiate. They they hoped that the strike would simply fizzle out and they could just slander it away. Um, But as the weeks went by, the strike actually held firm. Uh, In the cases where an entire institution was on strike, like an entire university, student associations organized picket lines and blocked the doors, physically barring students from entering, anyone from entering the university or the college. Uh, In cases where only certain associations in one establishment were on strike, they would send flying picket squads to go uh, stop the class from taking place, blocking the doors or making noise or something like that. And on the question of uh, rank and file democracy, student democracy, weak to week there were general assemblies in every student association where strike votes were discussed and voted on again and they were always renewed almost always renewed and this is this is really important that the students they they took democratic control over the strike they had control over the strike the, the media were constantly berating the student leaders, call off the strike, call off the strike. And they said, we, we can't call off the strike. It's not up to us. It's up to the students themselves. So the students, and that was the strength of the movement. The students debated the question of renewing the strike, but also all sorts of different issues related to the strike. Uh, they granted mandates, elected committees, and so on and so on, uh, organized demonstrations, um, and sometimes these general assemblies are long and tedious, but that was the democratic process uh, that the students had. Um, now, it is true that there were different traditions in the movement. The assay definitely had the most, the, the most vibrant democratic traditions, where the, the students had democratic control. And as I had mentioned previously, the FERC and the FEC uh, had more bureaucratic, top-down, uh, anti-democratic, actually, I would say, traditions, where the leaders generally decided things for the students a lot of the time. But even those unions, a lot of the local associations, had transformed under the emphasis of the masses who had flooded into the into the union and took control over the movement. So I think what needs to be emphasized is that students need to have democratic control over the movement. Even workers need to have democratic control over the movement as well. I think there's a big lesson here for the workers' movement. The masses, the ranks need to decide. They need to have democratic control over the movement. That is the strength of the movement, not a bureaucratic clique at the top that decides everything. Um, so this democracy, this this ultimately socialist democracy of the ranks, allowed this immense creativity of the students to be deployed in this movement. Another important lesson is the nature of the state. This was quite clearly on display in 2012, uh, you know, from an early... Early age, we're, we're fed the myth that we live in a democracy and the state is neutral. It serves the people. Uh, but the generation of students and youth and many other people that lived through to 2012 in Quebec, these, for, for them, the, these illusions were shattered by police batons, uh, by, by tear gas, um, uh, by flash, flash bomb grenades. Um, so the state, far from being neutral, was demonstrated to be at the service of the rich and powerful. Um, You know, Rosa Luxemburg, the the famous Marxist revolutionary, said, those who do not move do not notice their chains. So when students began to move and challenge the agenda of the capitalists in Quebec, these chains quickly became visible to them. They became obvious. And the government was trying to put them back in the chains. Um, So the government, realizing at a certain point that it couldn't simply ignore the movement, unleashed a wave of violent repression. Uh, stun grenades, baton blows, uh, pepper spray, tear gas, there were firing of non-lethal uh, rounds, rubber bullets that caused countless injuries, many of them serious. On And it started actually quite early on in 2012. On March 7th, the SPVM, the Montreal police, attacked demonstrators, wounded and wounded a student, uh, Francis Grenier, who actually lost his eye. So this was quite early on. A lot of students were very angry about the repression of the state. Uh, these, you know, pretty much throughout the whole eight months, there was the, the police unleashed an orgy of violence and police brutality on the students. Courts, also not just the police, the, 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 the capitalist courts rained down injunctions on student picket lines uh, to, to attempt them to, to, to prevent them from blocking from in, implementing the democratic decision of, that the students had made to go on strike attempt uh, to stop them from blocking the universities uh, and and you know yeah even during the summer of 2012, the Montreal police were, were randomly detaining people just for wearing a red square that was the symbol of the student movement. Now, arrests became so systematic that for the sake of efficiency, they commandeered buses and they would the police would arrest dozens and dozens of people, even hundreds of people sometimes at a time. They started this tactic of kettling where they would Divide the demo into small groups and just arrest everyone on mass for simply being in a demonstration So essentially the right to demonstrate was being attacked and actually did not exist was being actively repressed by the state During the course of the events of the Quebec spring the Quebec student strike. There were uh, almost 3500 people arrested uh, And paramedics had to respond to uh, health emergencies 174 times. This makes it the largest mass arrest during one conflict in the history of Canada. Um, this, and now this brutal treatment of students, <laughs> this brutal treatment was directed against students who were trying to protect the accessibility and the quality of the education system. Now, you can quite clearly see that when the state acts entirely different, when it has to deal with different protests, This so-called freedom convoy, that we've seen uh, this year uh, did not have the state uh, dealt with them with baby gloves. A a few hundred uh, protesters were able to block the downtown core of Ottawa for weeks with very little uh anything from the state anything from the police which clearly sows shows the nature of the police and and to understand why the police acted different to the differently to these two movements you have to understand the freedom Convoy did not represent a danger to capitalism at all did not represent any demands actually the demands that the freedom Conway were putting forward were actually just the more open blunt demands of capitalism as a whole which is lift all health and safety measures and get back to normal, get the profits flowing. That is not a threat to capitalism. So that shows why the state was so nice (laughs) to these demonstrations and why they had to clamp down on the students because the students were directly challenging the rule of the capitalist class and their agenda. And to his credit, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois was actually found in contempt of court for encouraging students to disobey these Injust anti-democratic injunctions uh, which were put in place to crush the strike now I think union leaders today have a lot to learn from this most union leaders in the country today Especially the major unions don't have an ounce of the courage that the student leaders in Quebec had at the time And that is precisely the courage that we need today to stand up to the attacks of the capitalists in April 2012, uh, you had a, a, the situation continued, the strike continued, the strike votes were being renewed. On April 20th, uh, the capitalists and Jean Charet, the government, they held a, a conference. It was called the Plan Nord Conference, the North Plan. It was being held at the Palais de Congrès in downtown Montreal. And this meeting was really aimed to attract investors, especially mining companies, to exploit the northern territory of Quebec, which is quite a massive territory. Considering that Quebec is already a jurisdiction that is known for its ridiculously low mining royalties, money uh, that companies have to pay to the state uh, to fund social services, uh, this Plan Nord basically amounted to selling uh, natural resources of Quebec's northern region at a massive discount. The Sorte de, de Québec, the provincial police, were brought in to reinforce the Montreal police to protect this conference uh, because they knew that there was thousands of demonstrators that were going to show up. So thousands of demonstrators showed up. And they were chanting one of their one of, the, one of the main slogans was "No to free mining, yes to free education." Uh, outside the Palais de Congres, the, the crowd actually entered into a battle with the police. There were pictures and videos of the police fleeing, actually, as the crowd were were uh, were hitting them with pelting them with stones. They were running battles with the police, and some protesters even managed to get inside the Palais de Congres. And the police had to 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 retreat to inside the building and establish a line of defense at the top of the stairs, as the crowd tried to climb in now these events really mark a fundamental shift the movement began to realize its strength normally capitalists and the governments make all sorts of decisions about people's lives our fate the fate of the economy the land they do this mostly behind closed doors where we have zero say very little say on this but now this situation you had the masses interrupting the biggest, richest powers <laughs> as they were trying to decide an economic plan. And this is quite something. Um, so yeah, you had inside the Plan Nord, you had Jean Charest, the premier, uh, joking, joking about the demonstrators. He said, uh, it's already very popular, this conference. People are running f- from everywhere to get in. Those who knocked on our door this morning, we could offer them a job in the north if possible. So this was an insult to, to students, that one of the main slogans there of, the, of the movement therefore became chere, uh, get out, we'll find you a job in the North. Charest dehors, on va trouver un job dans le Nord. Uh, this would become one of the famous slogans of the protests. Unable to repress the movement away, uh, and unable to ignore it, uh, the government uh, tried a different tactic. They tried to slander the movement, claiming that it was violent. Uh, blaming the demonstrators for the violent, of course, completely ignoring the violence of the state, the unprecedented crackdown on the right to protest, the mass arrests by the Montreal police and the provincial police of Quebec. Uh, and uh, yeah, the politicians, the media, the government raised a hue and cry about the so-called violence of the protesters. Uh, They demanded that the student leaders denounce this violence without mentioning the violence of the state, the violence incited by the government and the capitalists themselves against the people, against the youth, against the whole generation. So the message was clear for many, for everybody. The state can repress, can arrest, can brutalize, can even knock out your eye, can kill even with impunity, but the workers and the oppressed and the youth are not allowed to defend themselves. So yeah, the media used the events at the Plan Nord uh, conference to portray the students as dangerous thugs, as anarchists, as violent demonstrators. Um, now the uh, more conciliatory ferc FEC leaders were happy to denounce the violence of the demonstrators. Um, uh, falling for the, the trap of the government. And to their credit, the class, the assay leaders, refused to play this game of condemning the violence of the demonstrators. Uh, and the government started using, using this to claim that it was actually the students that would not negotiate in good faith, not the government, that they would not negotiate with violence, <laughs> which was rather ironic, considering what the government was doing. This leads to the second big demo of the movement. April 22nd was Earth Day, and there was a huge demonstration, which is normally a corporate greenwashed protest with TD Bank and the other banks claiming to care about the planet while funding big environmentally destructive projects. Uh, But this demo ended up being converted into an uh, anti-government pro-student strike demo with 250,000 people attending the biggest demo Uh, probably in the history of Quebec at that time, uh, including with large contingents of students, red squares, anti-charay, anti-tuition increase signs. Um, And the next day, it worked. The government decided that they had to negotiate with the students. So on April 23rd, uh, Lynn Beauchamp, the education minister, uh, basically said that the students need to respect a truce of a few days and they would negotiate, Uh, That same night, there was a night demonstration, a demonstration in the evening where there was vandalism by a few people at a demonstration. The government used this uh, as a pretext to exclude the the class negotiators, claiming that they were responsible for breaking the truce. Um, Because that demonstration in which these acts occurred was on their website, Uh, the government said that they would not negotiate with a group that incites violence. Now, their game was clear uh, this was a tactic of divide and rule. They were trying to get the FERC-FECT leaders to negotiate with them and negotiate a sellout deal while excluding and having a reason to, try to have a reason to excluding exclude the main organization that was responsible for the strike that everyone looked up to. They wanted to exclude Essay and the class because they represented the genuine interests of the students. Um, yeah, so... Uh, they, uh, with the exclusion of the class from the negotiations, this triggered mass anger amongst the student population, who immediately launched the tradition of night demonstrations uh, with the slogan uh, Manif chaque soir jusqu'à, jusqu'à la victoire, a demonstrate every night just until victory. Uh, these spontaneous night demonstrations, with every night several thousand, sometimes 10, 20,000 people every night for hours marching in the streets of Montreal, continued for a hundred days in a row. Now, under the pressure of the movement and seeing the immense popularity of the class, the Ferkfecht uh, did not, ended up bending to the pressure and they did not fall into the trap set by the government and they remained in solidarity with the rest of the movement. Of course, this wasn't because they were particularly good, I've already mentioned they're more conciliatory, but uh, they understood probably that they, if they accepted to negotiate ...without the class, and accept an agreement without the class, was represented really the heart and soul of the strike. Uh, that would be rejected, the, and they would lose all their authority and be discredited. And that really shows something about the role of the masses during this mass event. Um, so yeah, the government then <laughs> with, couldn't negotiate. The, the pressure of the masses had stopped their game... They tried to take the negotiations, therefore, to the public arena and presented a ridiculous offer at a press conference. Uh, a meager improvement in bursaries uh, for students with an increase of not $1,625 over five years, instead $1,785 over seven years. Uh, you can see there's not much difference between these two proposals. They're both horrible proposals. Needless to say, this offer was rejected by the students. So this leads us to May of 2012. Um, and yeah, the movement had really spread all over the province of Quebec. You had uh, the strikes on campuses uh, in Quebec City, Gaspé, Rimouski, Matin, even Magdalen Islands. Uh, in Gatineau, at the Université uh, du Taouais, uh there was a scene of three days of battle where the students barricaded themselves in, inside the university and the police laid siege. Um, it was is most of the violent confrontation, uh, however, did not really take place in Montreal. Probably the biggest uh, thing was known as the Battle of Victoriaville. The Quebec uh, Liberal Party, which was the governing party, Jean Charest's party, had a convention that was scheduled to take place in Montreal from May fourth to sixth. But fearing the disruption of the demonstrators after the disruption of the Plan Nord conference, this was moved to the small town of Victoriaville. But they could not escape the masses. They could not escape the movement. In response, student associations and other left-wing groups called for demonstrations against the Liberal Party conference convention. Uh, They uh, uh, paid for buses and they sent... Uh, demonstrators there. On the evening of May 4th, a demonstration of 3,000 people at, around the Victoriaville Convention Center. This turned into a riot and a battle with the police, um, where the small town truly turned into a battlefield. There was tear gas everywhere. The provincial police fired dozen of rubber, dozens of rubber bullets into the crowd, severely injuring three people. One person lost an eye, others lost uh, teeth, and one lost hearing in one ear. Uh, meanwhile, Charest is inside the convention center, promising that he would maintain the tuition increase at all costs. Um, they could not give in; the bourgeoisie could not give in on this. Um, that same evening, there was another round of negotiations in Quebec City, uh, but this time, the they did not; they could not exclude the class representatives. They proved unable to do so. That was just impossible. But they tried a new tactic to soften up the class leaders. They brought in the major labor leaders uh, to the negotiating table. Now, of course, the the government's well aware, they know these people, they negotiate with them all the time, that the uh, leaders of the main unions had really lost their teeth a long time ago and were used to capitulation and conciliation. This was probably best explained by Michel Arsenault who was the president of the Quebec uh, uh, Workers uh, Federation, the FTQ, the biggest union in the province, who uh, said late about the, about this event later, he said, I explained to them that negotiating is conceding. It takes a balance of power that you draw from mobilization. Uh, yeah. And then he, he refers to the fact that sometimes you have to just make a deal and concede and, and, and basically sell out. Uh, and yes, out of this, there came major concessions. Um, on May 5th, uh, after 22 hours of negotiations, all parties came out with an agreement. Now, Sherey presented this as a victory. Uh, this provided that the tuition fees Tuition increase would be maintained with a reduction in ancillary fees to compensate for the increase, uh, which would be financed by cuts in university spending. As you can probably already tell, this is a betrayal. However, as we have mentioned previously, the strength of the movement lay in the democratic control of the masses. So the naive mistakes of the student negotiators, who bent under the pressure of the trade union leaders and the government, were held in check by the masses themselves. On May 6th, uh, there was a nightly demonstration that took place, uh, the 13th nightly demonstration took place under the theme against the government's lousy offer, freeze or die. Uh, meaning a tuition freeze. Uh, Now, all across Quebec, student associations met in general assemblies during that week to decide whether to accept the agreement. Thousands and thousands of students crammed into the large halls in the universities and colleges, many times in multiple halls at the same time, to uh, discuss and vote and debate for hours. The verdict was overwhelming, a complete rejection of this rotten so-called deal. Uh, And students voted to renew the strike after being on strike so far for months. So this was, yeah, much more than your run-of-the-mill student strike. This is a mass, this is developing to a mass movement. And the students had democratic control over it. And really, this is the type of democracy that socialists stand for, that that Marxists stand for. uh, And the kind of democracy that the student movement and the workers movement needs today. Now, at this point, the government is completely humiliated they've tried everything, they've been unable to rectify the situation. The education minister Lynn Beauchamp resigns on May 14th, um, and really this was met with with celebration. However, after trying negotiation, conciliation, trying to dupe the students, the government was now turning to the other tried and true tactic, uh, repression. Uh, So this was the famous... Bill 78, the adoption of Bill 78 and its municipal counterpart, Bylaw P-6. So on May 18th, the National Assembly of Quebec passed Bill 78, which was a brutal anti-democratic special law designed to restrict the right to demonstrate and to ban student strikes. There was stiff fines for student unions, for any unions, and individuals who continued to block access to schools with picket lines. It required protesters to submit their itinerary to the police in advance. It also punished teachers, many of whom were sympathetic to the strike, and if if they didn't hold classes, they would face stiff fines. Uh, on the same day, uh, Montreal Mayor Gerard Tremblay, corrupt, who was actually removed from his post under corruption charges later, uh, passed a draconian the draconian municipal bylaw P6, which also required demonstrators to hand in their itineraries and permitted permitted them from wearing masks, which is very interesting today. Um, at least two thousand people were ticketed under this bylaw, which was later declared illegal by the Quebec Supreme Court. Uh, rather than back down, and this again highlights the point of leadership, the class leaders called to defy this anti-democratic repressive legislation. Uh, in the words of a class spokesperson Jane Reynolds, she said, Inaction is synonymous with complicity. To submit to this law is to accept it. To accept this law is to sanction its content. Very well said. Uh, So the public response to this was absolutely massive. 400,000 people demonstrated on May 22nd. Now this is the third big demo that had occurred throughout the course of the strike. This was the largest act of civil disobedience in the history of the province or even the country. The police were paralyzed by the power of the masses. And once again, I would like to highlight the role of leadership here. Uh, in face of this repressive law, or any attack by the government or the bourgeoisie, um, everything is decided very quickly. If the leaders capitulate, it is very difficult for the masses to overcome the conservative nature of their leadership. Uh, but at this point, if, so at this point, it's important that the leaders give the signal to defy these types of unjust laws and save the movement, right? And tap into that anger and give it a point of expression. And this is really the lesson learned. Uh, That should be learned by all leaders today, all union leaders, that you have to stick your neck out, right, and make the call to defy unjust laws. Uh, That's the lesson of the 2012 student strike, that the law is only a piece of paper uh, if people will not obey it. Um, So once they defied the law, this law really wouldn't stand up. So rather than suppressing the movement, the law had actually the opposite effect. As Marx said, famously said, uh, revolution sometimes needs the whip of the counter revolution. And this is precisely what Bill 78. Uh, with uh, the function that it performed, it it spread the movement to wide layers of the population. It turned the movement into something much bigger than a simple student strike. This took the form of what is known as the casserole uh, movement, uh, which began on May 24th. Uh, So people started calling for protests on Facebook, and there ended up in dozens and dozens of neighborhoods all over Quebec. You had people uh, banging pots and pans and the main slogan of the demonstration ends up being uh, la loi spéciale en son colis which means the the special law referring to the bill 78 and, and bylaw P6 uh, we don't give a bleep um, from this point on workers began to join the movement uh, on an, not as not the unions unfortunately the unions never actually officially joined the movement but uh, massively workers individually were joining the movement. This leads to an extremely important point about uh, the working class. Now, after four months of strikes and countless demonstrations, hundreds of demonstrations, blockades, occupations, different political stunts, the government still remained inflexible. They were not backing down. And this, I think, tells us something very, um, it tells us something about what this movement was. The, issue, the, the strike was no longer simply a question of money. In fact, it probably never really was a question of money. The Minister of Public Safety uh, summed up this question before the National Assembly when he said, should the law of the street dominate or should parliament? In this, he is actually right. He is pointing to something. The strike was a challenge to the rule of the bourgeois state. It was a challenge to the rule of the capital. And that's why the government could not give in. The strike was raising the question of who decided, um, and the government could therefore not back down. Now, students. This actually leads to the question of the workers. Students by themselves don't have much power. A student strike can put some pressure on the government, and it can kind of annoy people. And certainly, this strike, at the height of it, uh, was very. Uh, it disturbed society. It was really shaking up society. But but this isn't not much compared to the workers who when they stop working, the vast majority of society work jobs when they stop working, they directly attack the profits, the the, the pocketbooks, the wallet of the capitalist class and cost them. They can block transportation, communication, trade, production, you know, as we we famously say, not a wheel turns, not a light bulb shines without the kind permission of the working class. So if workers decide to do so, they can immobilize the entire society with the means of a general strike. Now, with students, it's not that they don't have any power. The strength lies in their numbers, their energy, and their time that they have that workers don't necessarily have. Um, and Quebec students had led many successful strikes, but they, they couldn't necessarily and couldn't ultimately face down the entire state, state apparatus and the might of the capitalist class alone. In this situation, it was absolutely necessary that the students... Bring the workers into the struggle, bring the organized working class into the struggle to bring down uh, the government. Uh, And probably the best example of this happening in history is what happened in May 68 uh, in France, which started as a student movement, and the students went to the workers, formed student worker solidarity committees, and brought the workers into the struggle, which ended up being the biggest general strike. Uh, up, up until that point, with 10 million workers on strike, paralyzing French capital uh, and leading to Charles de Gaulle, the president, fleeing the country. Um, So that would have transformed the movement into something much larger than it was at that point. Now, unfortunately, this is something that was not really understood at the time. And you had two problems here. First, you had the role of the labor leaders, which did not really want to have anything to do with this movement. They would maybe speak in favor of it in words, but behind closed doors and even publicly were telling the members not to strike, not to join the movement, uh, and definitely don't do a general strike. Now, on the student side of things, there were many calls for what they call in Quebec a grève social," a social strike, to spread it beyond the student population. But these were limited to either abstract appeals or often trying in private to convince union leaders to join the struggle. Um, so, but, but this was not enough. Faced with the immobility and even sabotage of the main union leaders, student activists need to directly go to rank and file workers, much like students did in May 68 in France, it was necessary to create teams of students on, to go to workplaces and one by one, speak to rank and file workers, uh, speak to general assemblies of local uh, unions that were sympathetic and convince them of the the necessity for student-worker solidarity and to link the struggle up, that if the students won, this strengthened the workers' movement. It strengthened the movement as a whole and it weakened the government and it weakened the bosses. Uh, unfortunately, while there were some attempts to establish links like this, most notably, uh, activists with Laripos Socialist and the International Marxist Tendency had uh, put forward uh, resolutions for the creation of student-worker solidarity committees to precisely go to the workers and bring them into the struggle. Unfortunately, we were too small and too weak to, to really get this off the ground at the time. So so this didn't really take off. Now, the class leaders, on their point, on their part, they called for economic disturbances. But these were quite often understood in the anarchist sense. So without mobilizing the mass of the workers, these disturbances took the, the, the form of actions, uh, actions direct. Consisted of blocking workplaces without trying to win over workers or even even warn the workers in advance that they were blocking uh, the workplaces. I know this happened once at Hydro Quebec, for example. There was even a couple of cases where some people put some uh, bricks on the the Metroway lines. They put smoke bombs in the subway to try to uh, cost capitalism money that way. But this ended up just these were just ultra left actions that were generally met with hostility from working class people who had their their day being wrecked by uh, these these actions from some students, and actually helped the government sort of convince layers of the workers that they were the students were against them. Um, but the, yeah, this showed all the confusion around how to what the student movement needed to do at the time and how to bring the workers into the struggle. So the failure to mobilize broad layers of the working class uh, represented one of the biggest errors of the 2012 student strike, and we really need to learn that lesson. So at this point, without really a plan to extend the movement to the workers, the movement entered a a bit of a... (laughs) It was a bit of a stalemate. Uh, They're just continuing the same methods. The government wasn't backing down. You had nightly demonstrations every night. You had economic disturbances. Uh, You had mass demonstrations. Um, Students continued to be arrested and brutalized en masse. And a bit of a stagnation set in. And the movement began to run out of steam. Now, to resolve this impasse, uh, Jean Charest, the premier, uh, pulled a new card from his sleeve. On August 1st, he called a provincial election. He made law and order against the reign of the streets, the issue of the campaign, and that is really what everybody understood understood about this campaign. They understood that it was a referendum on the tuition fee increase and on the student strike and ultimately on who decides, who rules society. Now, what is our approach to elections? Disastrously we would argue, the class leaders chose to boycott the elections. The main slogan was elections are not a solution. Uh, They tried to maintain the strike and the demonstration as the terrain of struggle, uh, ignoring the fact that the ground had shifted. Now, while it is correct that we should have maintained the strike and demonstrations during the elections and used it uh, to criticize the government and show uh, what they were doing and how it was wrong, right, and expose them, um, it needed to be recognized that Jean Charest had succeeded in diverting the struggle somewhat onto the electoral plane, and there was a change in the situation. So with no real recognition of that from the student leaders, one by one, student associations started voting to put an end to the strike and, uh, and to, to respect a truce uh, during the elections, The class, uh, in particular the anarchist wing that was largely in control, uh, maintained the need to have total independence from all political parties, and even the election as a whole. Now this is a classic historic position of the left in Quebec, the anarcho-syndicalist tradition, uh, which sees elections and the bourgeois state and any association with any political parties as a bad thing in and of itself. But this ends up defending a basically an anyone but the liberals position. Uh, which in practice led to directly to the election of the Parti Quebecois, which was this the other main establishment party. Now, it is fair to say that elections under capitalism cannot change the nature of the capitalist system and essentially serve to elect different representatives of the bourgeoisie to a parliament that serves as the legislative body for capital. However, uh mm, a very small minority of people understood this even in the students uh and 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 people saw the elections as a chance to defeat the government and that was very important and this was a lost opportunity actually by the class who boycotted uh and this actually allowed the more moderate wing of the movement which was connected to the pq the FERC, and the FEC leaders who in alliance with the pq capitalized on the situation with one of them, uh, the leader of the FEC, uh, Léo Bureau blouin even running for the Parti Québécois and getting elected in this election. But yes, why were they able to do this? Well, it was precisely because of the role that the class had played. Now, there was an option on the table, actually. There was actually an anti-austerity, free education, pro-strike party, Québec solidaire, the only left-wing, the only genuine left-wing party uh, in Quebec, that could that should have been supported by the class, the main heart and soul of the movement that had started the strike, if they had supported Quebec Solidaire, that would have completely transformed the situation. It would have shifted the movement onto an electoral plane, uh, in combination with the movement in the streets, in combination with with extending and continuing the strike, elect QS to fight against all of the pro-tuition increase, all of the pro-capitalist, pro-austerity parties. Uh, now, unfortunately, this did not happen. So the leader of the PQ, Pauline Marois, uh hypocritically and opportunistically started participating in the demonstrations, wearing the red square, banging a casserole, pot and pan, and, and claiming that she was on the side of the students, which was extreme opportunism as the PQ under Lucien Bouchard and even previous governments had a def- zero deficit policy and implemented the most brutal austerity cuts in, he- in particular in the healthcare system, but also to the education system. Now the, the leaders of Quebec solidaire also have some responsibility for this. They they did not capitalize on the movement. They failed to clearly present themselves as the party of free education and the student movement, uh, and they refused really to, they refused to call for they didn't call for civil disobedience against Bill 78, um, and really showing mistaken priorities. They uh, they held a, their only demonstration that the party held during the election was on the issue of. Quebec independence which really was so disconnected from what was happening at the time not on the movement the strike the tuition increases or the anti-democratic legislation and the repression of the government on Quebec independence which is a, a recurring problem with Quebec solidaire focusing on the national question when the class question is on the rise so this all led to a situation where on September 4th the night of the election the liberals were defeated Jean Charest was humiliated, he lost his seat in his own riding, um, and the days following the election, uh, Pauline Merrois and the PQ came to power in a minority government. Under pressure, they withdrew Bill 78 and the tuition fee increase. So basically what happened, this was a victory in a certain sense, that after eight months of historic struggle, the main student demand was met. But, as students would soon discover, this was a Pyrrhic victory. The PQ government replaced the tuition fee increase with an indexation of tuition fees. So Pauline Marois had succeeded where Jean Charet had failed. Pauline Marois unfroze tuition fees and they started increasing. And while Charest's tuition increase only lasted for five years, Marois would last forever, would continue forever. And the Marois government would continue to impose austerity measures across the board. It was the death by a thousand cuts type austerity measures. Um, And the student movement attempted to rebound, but ultimately was exhausted after eight months of struggle uh, and failed to really pick itself up again. And two years later, the liberals returned to power and continued to cut and ransack public services. So what does the experience of 2012 tell us? Well, the leaders of the class were heads and shoulders above the leaders of most movements that we see today, especially in the early days of the movement. They correctly raised the sights of the movement and inspired the masses of the student population to fight against the tuition increase, the government, and yes, the system and the bourgeoisie, they questioned the entire makeup of the system. But despite all their heroism, as I hope that I've explained here, at the end of the day, in the heat of the struggle, they proved to be lacking in many regards. Not lacking in desire, in passion, enthusiasm, in heroism, but lacking in correct ideas, methods and tactics. Now, as participants in the movement of 2012, as a participant in the movement myself, uh, we, the Fight Back, La socialist socialiste and the International Marxist Tendency, have always believed that Marxism is a body of ideas that, that students and workers need to fight, lead the struggles to decisive victory, and I hope that I have demonstrated why that is with this struggle here. Therefore, we believe that it is prime importance that we build the forces of Marxism, that we build the forces of Marxism in Quebec, in Canada, and internationally that can assist, assist workers and youth and all layers of the oppressed to adopt the uh, the best ideas, the best strategy, the best tactics that can help us fight back and win. And yes, we must, on the 10th anniversary of the 2012 heroic student strike of the Quebec's youth, we believe that the student and worker activists must learn the lessons of this movement in order to make sure that we do not make the same errors again. And guess what? None of the problems... Raised by the struggle in 2012, have been solved. Tuition fees are higher than they were then, and the the level of living conditions of the masses is only decreasing. Uh, and the crisis of capitalism has not only ended; has not ended. It has only gotten worse. So we must learn the lessons of the 2012 student strike, and we must build the forces of Marxism to help the masses win in the struggles to come.
0: Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So, if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.